Welcome to the Lexington Public Library's Tales from the Kentucky Room podcast, where we discuss everything Lexington and Fayette County history. I'm Miriam, and in each episode of this podcast, we will feature a guest that will share a piece of local history. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Elizabeth Hughes Clements, or how most people know her, Bess Clements Abel, was born on June 2nd, 1933 in Evansville, Indiana and grew up in Morganfield, Kentucky. Her father, Earl Chester Clements, was a member of the House of Representatives, the governor of Kentucky, and a United States Senator. Her mother, Sarah Clements, was the postmaster in Morganfield. A childhood and an early adulthood spent immersed in politics and its social trappings meant that Bess learned very quickly the ins and outs of Washington's political scene. She studied political science at the University of Kentucky and graduated in 1954. Her unique skill in navigating social and political situations with finesse landed her the job as personal assistant to Lady Bird Johnson in 1960. During the presidential campaign when Lyndon B. Johnson was John F. Kennedy's running mate, she would then become the White House social secretary during the Johnson administration. The Secret Service detail assigned to the First Lady would give Bess Clemens able the codename Iron Butterfly to symbolize her ability to simultaneously be witty and charming in social gatherings, but also to be ruthlessly organized and tough to make sure those social gatherings went off without a hitch. Today on the podcast, we have with us the authors of the book, Washington's Iron Butterfly, Bess Clemens Able in Oral History. Donald Ritchie is a historian emeritus of the United States Senate. He conducted oral history interviews with former senators and retired members of the Senate staff as part of the Senate Oral History Project and edited the transcripts of Senator Joseph R. McCarthy's investigations. Ritchie is the author of several works, including Electing FDR, The New Deal Campaign of 1932, and Press Gallery, Congress, and the Washington Correspondence, which won the Richard W. Leopold Prize of the Organization of American Historians. Terry Birdwhistle is founding director of the Louis B. Nunn Center for Oral History and served as dean of University of Kentucky Libraries. He is a former president of the Oral History Association and is the co-author of Our Rightful Place, Women at the University of Kentucky, 1880 to 1945. Well, thank you guys again for joining us for the podcast. Before we get started to about Bess Abel, I was really curious about how you guys decided to collaborate on this particular subject matter. Well, Don and I have known each other for... That's Terry. Gosh, I don't know how many years, many years through the Oral History Association. And then Don married a former colleague of mine, Ann Campbell Ritchie. Mm-hmm. And we've just become great friends over the years and we share a huge interest in oral history. And then we both uh, got to know the Avels. And and so uh, Don has actually written a biography that came out last year that I recommend to everyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a biography of Drew Pearson, a journalist in Washington, D.C. And Tyler Avel is his stepson. And and the Avels actually lived at merry-go-round farm, which was Drew Pearson's summer home. So it just seemed like the logical next step. A lot of interviews recorded, a lot of interviews already existed about Bess Abel and the Johnson administration. And uh, we just decided that we'd take a crack at putting all those together. And it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. 
Oh, can I add that oral sure. history is about collecting other people's stories? That's Don. You got to know Bess. She was just filled with stories. Oh. It was nothing better than sitting around the dinner table at her home as she recounted some of the events that took place. And she would have everybody in peals of laughter after a little <laughs> while, describing some of the unexpected things that happened to her over the years. So yeah. she was a natural subject for an oral history volume. Yeah, she lived a, a very remarkable life, and I'm sure you guys had a lot of material to work with. So tell us a little bit about Bess Abel's early life. You know, she lived in a very political household, and it determined the trajectory, I guess, of her professional career. She grew up in Morganfield, Kentucky, Union mm -hmm. County, which is yeah. in western Kentucky. So Kentucky lays a claim to, to Bess Abel. <laughs> Kentucky, Kentucky, yes, they did. And there's an interesting story about mm -hmm. Kentucky laying a claim to her. When Bess was uh, about ready to be born, Her, uh, they found out that it was going to be a breach of birth. And so uh, Earl Clements and Sarah Clements mm -hmm. had to rush to Evansville, Indiana, which was across the Ohio River. They had to take a ferry across the river, go over to Evansville, Indiana, where there was someone there who was skilled at doing breech births. And mm -hmm. so Bess was actually born in Evansville, Indiana and given oh. a birth certificate. Well, as soon as Earl Clements got back to Morganfield, he raced down to the county clerk's office and told them he needed a birth certificate. He had just had a daughter born and she needed to have a Kentucky birth certificate. So Bess Clements Abel ended up with two birth certificates. And it wasn't until after 9-11 and she asked for her FBI file and it came back very thick that she realized that it had become quite a concern of the FBI that she had both of these birth certificates. Oh, but those birth certificates will get you every time. <laughs> but she grew up in a very political household. Her father uh, had every elected position in Union County. Yeah. He was in the uh, Kentucky legislature. He was in the United States Congress. He came back into his governor and then went on to be, be senator. Yeah. But uh, Bess would go with him on campaign. She was around the political environment all of the time. And many would say that Bess was a lot like her father and learned a lot from her father about how politics work and how you work with people. And her father was responsible for bringing her to Washington because yeah. he served first in the House of Representatives. And then after he was governor, he was a United States senator. He became the whip of the Democratic Party in the Senate in the 1950s. And the Senate leader was Lyndon Johnson. And so... Uh -huh. Earl Clements and Lyndon Johnson became fast friends, and their families socialized together. Mm -hmm. So as a young woman, as a young girl, really, Bess Abel got to know Lyndon and Lady Bird Johnson mm -hmm. and their daughters, and that would affect the rest of her career. Yeah, and that's how she kind of got, I guess you can say, put her, her foot in the door. Exactly. Yeah, with the Lyndon Johnson administration. Reading your book, I couldn't help but get like... Olivia Pope vibes from from Best. I know that that particular character from the show Scandal was was inspired by Judy Smith, who was the first black woman W um, press secretary under George W. Bush. But she had those same skills, kind of like she was able to fix things, anything that kind of was you know shaky or sensitive. She had these skills that mellowed everybody. One of those, of course, is when, when Lyndon Johnson became president after John F. Kennedy was assassinated. I'm sure the first event you guys described in the book after he became president. Talk to us a little bit about some of those events right. while, during her time at the White House, how she was able to kind of smooth things over. 
Well, you know, Bess was actually in Texas on November 22nd, 1963, mm-hmm. waiting at the Johnson Ranch for the Kennedys who were going to come there for the mm-hmm. weekend after the, they were in Dallas. Yeah. And she had to rush back to Washington, gather up the Johnson's uh, luggage, get some of their staff who were down there, figure mm-hmm. out how to get them back into Washington. And suddenly, uh, having she'd been the secretary to the wife of the vice president, but Suddenly, overnight, she was the social secretary in the White House, Mm -hmm. and she was still in her early 30s at the time. The first month that the Johnsons were in the White House was a very difficult time. It was a period of official mourning, and the White House was just covered with black crepe. Uh, It was a very somber period. Mrs. Johnson only wore black, and so they they had a number of memorial services. And then December 23rd, 1964, that, 63, that was the the end of the official period of mourning. Yeah. And uh, Lyndon Johnson told Bess that he had invited every single member of Congress and their spouses to come to the White House for reception that night. Mm. So she suddenly had to fly into action, uh, get the staff to take down the black crepe, hang up the Christmas decorations. Mrs. Johnson went upstairs to get a red dress instead of all the black dresses that she'd been wearing. And Bess had to call everybody around the government to try to put together the food and the entertainment for a thousand people coming to town for that to to dinner, essentially that night. And afterwards, she told the chief usher at the White House, she said, you know, everybody I called uh, volunteered to help, Uh, whether they were in the government or outside the government. She said, I never knew there was so much power in the position of social secretary. She (laughs) said, and I intend to use it. Yeah, good for her. For the next five years, she did everything possible for the Johnsons. She put on the state dinners. She got the entertainment. She figured out that the menus. She helped Mrs. Johnson prepare in every possible way uh, Mm -hmm. for entertaining in the White House. She helped the president for uh, lots of the receptions that he held with various uh, groups coming to town. She estimated that the Johnsons had a party and a half a day, well, every day while they were in the White House, meaning big events, small events, a tea for this, uh, you know, a hundred people for that, uh, you know, a state dinner for that. She had to be prepared constantly. And that was her gift was uh, figuring out how to do it in an entertaining way mm-hmm. and to do it quickly and to uh, make sure that anything that unexpected that developed, uh, she figured out how to handle it without causing too much of a ruckus. Yeah. At this time when she's in the White House, of course, she was already married to Tyler Abel, correct? Yes. Yeah, and they got eloped. So how did her father take that <laughs> that little situation? <laughs> Sarah, you're good on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it was uh, it was quite an adventure. You know, they were at a New Year's Eve party, as, you, mm-hmm. as we explain in the book, or as they tell it in the book. And they left the party looking for someone who could marry them in the middle of the night, or early mm-hmm. morning by this time, I suppose. And they got all the way down to North Carolina before they could find somebody who who married them. And they... They were actually on their way to Florida, but they decided Tyler had to go in the Army six days later, so they better get back to D.C. And and so uh, on the way back, Bess called her father, and I'm reminded she is the only child and a daughter. And she told him that she and Tyler had eloped and gotten married, and uh, <laughs> he was uh, apparently very upset, which yeah. upset Bess. But by the time they got back to D.C. to the where the Clemens lived, uh, Earl Clemens was out on the sidewalk pacing back and forth. And what he did immediately was hug Bess and apologize for 
what he had said and everything, everything worked out, but it was quite an adventure. And then the Johnsons had a huge reception at uh, Portland. She seemed like a woman that knew what she wanted and went out and got it and, <laughs> and made everybody think that it was their idea in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that comes from Earl Clements. You know, he was one of the, he, oh, yeah. he might have been the best governor Kentucky had in the, in the 20th century. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was just an incredibly effective person and best, had those traits. One of the underlying themes in the book is that, you know, Bess got married, got married, and then she and Tyler had two boys. And Bess was trying to, like so many women of that period, you know, she was uh, well-educated, she was smart, ambitious in her own way, was trying to figure out what to do. She thought about going to law school, but, you know, decided not to do that. So she got this part-time job with uh, Lady Bird Johnson, and then, as Don described, it turned into this, you know, 20-hour-a-day, seven-days-a-week job at the White House. Yeah. And she was a, a mother of two young boys. And in the book, the sons, Dan, Danny, and Lyndon, mm-hmm. described how, how hard their mother worked to make sure that she was there for them and she did things for them. And talk about best would be at a state dinner. And it'd get late and she would excuse herself and go into another room and call the boys and read them a book as they were going to sleep at night. And, uh, and uh, Lyndon talks about how when she, when she came home, she would uh, start fixing dinner. And he said she was just amazing. that She didn't mind using a recipe, but that wasn't her favorite thing. She would just start pulling things out of the refrigerator and the pantry. Make and it do with what she's got. <laughs> what she, had, she didn't have time to be too. No. too, <laughs> too and then the other part is, uh, uh, Lyndon tells a wonderful story. You know, he was uh, he was riding the school bus. He was very young, grade school. And he did something on the school bus, got in trouble. And so he got banned from the school bus for a time. And as Lyndon tells the story, he said, that was the greatest thing ever. Because my mom sent a White House limousine to pick me up at school. They took me over to the White House. He had the run of the White House. He talked to everybody there, just ran around. And he says, it's just hard to imagine you could even do that today. Oh, so yeah. so even in that's taking on these huge responsibilities and working so hard, they managed to have a, a very wonderful family life. And Tyler was always supportive of Bess, very supportive mm-hmm. and being supportive of what she did to this day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, during her time in the Johnson White House, it seemed like she um, it was just so much more than just tea parties and estate dinners. She witnessed some very pivotal moments in our history, including the passage of the 1964 Voting Rights Bill. And she managed to organize the Lady Bird special, the train tour. Of course, you guys talk about that in the in the book. Can you talk to us a little bit about how she approached that sensitive time? For me, Having known Bess, I mean, the Lady Bird special was sort of a surprise to me when I got mm-hmm. started looking into it, yeah. because it was beyond the scope usually of a social secretary mm-hmm. who yeah. worrying about events at the White House. But here was Mrs. Johnson, who really wanted to get involved in the campaign in mm-hmm. 1964. And the, the men around the president didn't think that the first lady should have any role in the, in the campaign, mm-hmm. except to stand next to her husband and smile. But Lady Bird was much more ambitious and much more politically tuned. And she really wanted to have a part. Part of it was she came from the South, from the Deep South. And Lyndon Johnson had signed the Civil Rights Act of 64. 
Mm-hmm. And Johnson realized that that meant that he and the Democratic Party were probably going to be losing the South politically as a result of this. And Lady Bird Johnson wasn't ready to give up on the South. So Bess Abel helped her organize a train ride from Washington, D.C. to New Orleans to go through some of these southern states like Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, then to Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, and into Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Lady Bird spoke out at each of these spots, despite the fact that there were often a lot of anti-Johnson hecklers in the crowd yelling at her on the way. It was Bess's job to sort of find a, a car for them, to get it fixed up, to arrange for the, the, the functions that they would have, get people on board, you know, receive flowers for each town, then find some sort of a, of a hospital to give the flowers to as they moved on to the next town, to sort of make sure that everything went as smoothly as possible. And Bess did notice that the deeper into the South the train got, the deeper Mrs. Johnson's southern accent became. And essentially, <laughs> essentially, Lady Bird Johnson helped to charm a lot of people and to smooth a lot of ruffled feathers. Mm-hmm. And while they lost about five of those states, they carried two, I think, or three of the states that mm-hmm. she went through at that time. Uh, and so it was, it was quite a, a remarkable accomplishment. Interestingly, the literature, the famous books that were written about that campaign Mm-hmm. Totally ignored the Ladybird special. Looking back now, we realize this was a, a pioneering effort of women in politics. It got mm-hmm. a lot of women involved and it was really a remarkable achievement at the time. Yeah, it, was, it, it was actually courageous because, as Don said, there were hecklers, but there were also threats. And mm-hmm. so they had to have a lot of security and they had to run a train ahead of them to make sure that people weren't blowing up bridges and things like that. It, mm-hmm. I mean, when I read, when I, when I discovered that, it just re- reminded me, you know, we talk about our politics today, but you know, they were tough then too. And yeah, it took courage for, and it was all women and it was yeah. all women who went down there and did that. And, and it had best handprints all over it because it was so well organized. I mean, <laughs> They they couldn't eat the food that was given to them, so they'd make sure it went someplace where it was needed. They, yeah. they didn't keep all the flowers that were given, so they sent them to nursing homes. And this was while they were moving, you know, across the southern United States. And you can just imagine if Bess had become a politician and had run her own campaign, what that would have looked like. You know, I thought about that a lot when I was reading your book. Is she yeah. would have made an amazing politician, I think. Those campaigns would have looked a lot like her father's. Her father knew what was going to happen in every campaign he <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. So talk to us a little bit about her life after the end of the Johnson administration and after she left the White House. Did her professional career continue or did she move on to other things? Bess did a variety of things, but she tapped into her skills as an organizer mm-hmm. and as a planner. She had a, a, a company that she set up. Best Able Enterprises. She ran functions, for instance, when the book All the President's Men was published. She organized the book launch for it in Washington, D.C., which drew out sort of the cream of the crop in Washington Mm -hmm. at the time. And then she got very active with women journalists. The men who ran the press corps had been keeping women out. They wouldn't let them into the National Press Club for years. And they wouldn't let them into the Gridiron Club, which was a, a very elite organization that every year hosted a dinner for the president of the United States, the cabinet members, members of Congress. It was a great place to make contacts and to develop sources. And yet it was only for men. 
And the women for years had been trying to figure out how to get into the gridiron club. Yeah. They, they picketed it outside. They protested it in different ways. And it wasn't working. And it was, it was Bess Abel who decided, well, what, let's throw a party. So on the same night as the gridiron dinner, they had a big fair. And they invited all sorts of prominent people to come. They set up booths. They had fortune tellers. They had Dan Rather. The news anchor was in a kissing booth. They had they had Mrs. Mitchell, uh, Martha Mitchell, who was famous, the wife of the, the attorney general. She was famous for making very indiscreet telephone calls in the middle of the night. They had her sitting in a booth. And for $5, she would call any of your friends and chat with them on the phone and get a call from Martha Mitchell. Well, not only did more presidential candidates show up at Bess's fair than went to the gridiron dinner, but the men who ran the gridiron realized that they had lost the battle because the women could put on a much better party than they could. And the next year, they invited Helen Thomas to become the first woman member of the Gridiron Club. And that broke down the last barrier, really, Mm -hmm. to women getting some sort of equality in the the Washington Press Corps. Helen Thomas is another another woman that I definitely (laughs) admire. (laughs) For our our Kentucky audience, I always like to emphasize that, you know, the funny story about Bess and her birth certificates, but in Mm -hmm. fact, she never lost touch with her Kentucky home. Mm-hmm. Uh, she kept lifelong friends from her childhood in, in Morganfield. I actually interviewed one of her friends that knew her when they were five years old while we were doing this book. She and Tyler would go visit in uh, Morganfield. They would stay with their friends. And it, it was like they had never left in a way. And just about three or four years ago, Bess was the Grand Marshal of the Corn Festival Parade in in Morganfield. And so she was always part of that community. Mm-hmm. And she was part of the larger state. You know, her father's papers, the Earl Clements papers, came to UK in the 1970s. And when we had the dedication program in 1978, it was Lady Bird Johnson who came and spoke. And Bess and Tyler were here for that. And then you fast forward to the, say, the last uh, 15 years. And Bess served on the National Advisory Board for UK Libraries. And she and Tyler set up two endowments to support historical research on government and politics and also establish a recognition of Kentucky teachers of history and civics. And the uh, Earl Clements Teaching Award is awarded by UK every year. So he was always interested in Kentucky. And as her grandchildren got older, two of them lived in Colorado and, and two of them lived in, in the D.C. area. But she made sure that they came back for what she called their Kentucky Roots Tour. She wanted <laughs> them to know where she was from and what they were part of. And I was fortunate to be able to join her on a couple of those. And it was just fascinating to see the pride she had in Kentucky and her roots in Kentucky. And of course, she never wanted to miss a Kentucky Derby. That was one of the big things because she and Tyler first met at a Kentucky Derby. They were with other people, but that was so important to her. And after she got so she wasn't coming to the Derby, she held these large Derby parties at her house every year, which were quite a spectacle. Oh, yeah. She's definitely a treasure, one of Kentucky's treasures that I'm I'm so happy that you guys wrote about her so that we can share it with our Kentucky audience. And you guys have worked on so many projects in your own right. What other projects are each of you guys currently working on that we can anticipate? 
Well, I was a Senate historian for many years, and so mm -hmm. I have written a book called The U.S. Congress, A Very Short Introduction, mm -hmm. which is a very short book. It's about 35,000 <laughs> words. It's part of a series called Very Short Introduction Series. That book is, has gone through two editions, but after January 6th of last year, Mm -hmm. uh, the, the publisher felt that I, it needed another edition. Part of it is that the theme of my book is compromise is absolutely essential to get anything of consequence done in Congress. Mm -hmm. Well, the theme of this new third edition is going to be, if compromise is so essential, why is it Congress finds it absolutely impossible to compromise anymore? <laughs> so that's uh, that's where I'm spending my time these days. All right. What about I, sorry. I've been in UK almost 50 years, and so I have a great interest in UK history. And just last year, Deirdre Skaggs, my colleague here, and I came out with a book on the history of women at UK up through the Second World War, which was called Our Rightful Place. And it was a very enjoyable task trying to write that. Very, very difficult. There's a lot of history. You know, when I when I first started working on the project back in the late 80s, early 90s, I told somebody what I was working on, and they said, well, that shouldn't take long to write the history of women. <laughs> and of course, that meant I had to do it, right? And, and then going forward, we're getting ready in a couple of years to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the William T. Young Library. And I was very fortunate to interview William T. Young about his life and career, and I'm hoping to, to oh, do something with that. But uh, yeah. I, I'd like to work on another project with Don because it's, it's more fun than working by yourself. <laughs> That's amazing. 25 years of William T. Young Library. You know, it opened when I was. In, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing, there. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Thank you guys so much for agreeing to meet with us and talk to us. We're looking forward to the release of the book. Is it already um, released? Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Today is an official release, isn't it? Yes. I think yeah. so. That's that's what I hear. <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys it's so on, much for your time. Amazon. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you can get it from the press on Amazon or any of your bookstore. Thank you. And I think anyone who reads it will enjoy best just as much as we have. I Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. She by the way, from two interviewers for the last uh, several decades, you're a very good interviewer. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I should keep my day job as a librarian. <laughs> no, no. You did great. Yeah, thank you, guys. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Tales from the Kentucky Room, a podcast brought to you by the Central Library's Kentucky Room staff at the Lexington Public Library. If you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you have any questions about local history or genealogy research, you can visit us in the Kentucky Room to use our collection and newspaper microfilm, or you can email us at elibrarian at lexpublib.org. That's elibrarian at lexpublib.org. I'm Miriam, and we'll be back with another trip down Lexington's memory lane.